Thank you for joining us for the Detroit Evening Report Weekends. I'm Sasha Ryan. Unlike during the Detroit Evening Report weekdays, where we focus on the news of the day, news you can use, more timely stuff, on the weekends, we want to spend some time in the community, getting to know people and places that make Detroit special. And today, we have WDET's Nargis Rahman with us to share a story. Hey, Nargis. Hi, Sasha. So um, let's remind listeners who you are and what you tend to get up to. So I am a reporter here at WDET. I'm one of the hosts of the Detroit Evening Report. I also do anchoring, so you might hear me on air sometimes. But a lot of the stories that I like to do are about business, people, and community. Hmm. So tell us about the story you brought today. So today we're going to be talking about the Muslim Women of Business, which is a new organization that's gathering entrepreneurs in a new way that holds on to faith-based principles, but really celebrates the sisterhood behind everything. Hmm. Okay, great. Well, let's listen. It's Sunday morning, and women are gathered at the Table for 20 event space in Livonia. They are wearing long, colorful dresses and hijabs in various designs. Some are sipping iced tea with muffins. One by one, each woman introduces herself. Some are designers, some are doulas, and some are caterers. But just about all of them are businesswomen. It's the kickoff event for the Muslim Women of Business, an organization that hopes to bring like-minded women together. Khalifa Kane owns Khalifa's Mobile Kitchen and Khalifa Catering in Detroit. She organized the event. Kane says the idea came from a business panel held at a women's co-working space a few months prior. The inspiration for me was that there was a need to do a follow-up to a segment. Typically we talk and we have these dialogues and these ideas, but we don't do anything after that. Kane says she and a few others shared a similar sentiment. So they decided to join forces. We were just talking amongst ourselves, like, you know, this need to kind of elaborate on some of the things that we have been facing as businesswomen. Kane says she hopes the organization helps people network without facing the usual barriers as Muslim women. That's the unique thing that makes this women of business gathering unique is that we are Muslim. And so, like I said, without compromising our faith in the midst of trying to establish something grand and great. We, we want to keep our priority, which is to serve our Lord. Kane says the luncheon was a way to figure out what women need. Monique Abdulaziz is the owner of The Recruit, a market research business. She says she's interested in learning how the business world will incorporate Islamic values. I am a, oh, probably third generation entrepreneur, come from a family of entrepreneurs. At one point, me and all seven of my siblings have had our own business. And I started the recruit in 2006. Abdulaziz says she came out to the luncheon to be with the community and meet new people. She says she was pleasantly surprised that the Muslim women of business had something for her, members who are well-seasoned in the business world. She says she's glad to know the organization helps fight stereotypes. I feel like it's needed because you don't really hear from um, Muslim women what they do. You know, we have sometimes have stereotypes that we're stay-at-home moms. So for this, it made me feel like I was a part of something with my sisters that's something good. It made me feel like, okay, we're doing this together. 
During the event, Khalifa Kane tells the women that everyone will take a short break for Zuhr, the Islamic midday prayer. Women laid out plastic table covers and some jackets on an open section of the floor to bow down their heads in prayer. It's one of the many ways the organization honors the Muslim way of life. As the women return to their seats, Kane asks them to fill out a quick form with their contact information to create a database of the businesses. Latari Yassin is the owner of So Modest Studio, a women-only sewing studio offering curated classes. She's one of the ladies who wore her business literally, a black and white floor-length dress with pockets. She came to showcase her company. It means that I can put my goals at the forefront as far as empowering women and networking with women, being very intentional about who and what I buy from in the, the spaces and connections. At the event, keynote speaker Angelica Lindsay Ali, a certified sexual health educator and wellness coach, encouraged women to include religion and spirituality in their business plan. So is there already a blueprint for accomplishing this goal? By looking at our righteous predecessors, by looking at the mothers of the believers, by looking at Muslim women and men throughout time, we can learn a pathway in how to craft our business. Lindsay Ali says by focusing on tools like self-reflection, supplication and prayer, women can come out stronger. She says after putting your trust in God, the rest is hard work and effort. Khalifa Kane says bosses who are women aren't usually highlighted in public. We typically think of like the men, right, are the owners and operators of businesses. But to be a woman paving the way and not only being an example for young girls that brown like myself, but other Muslim girls and let them know that you have this idea that sometimes that light get dim, that you can do it, that it's possible. Kane says the best part is that a team of sisters will walk together on that journey. Muslim women of business will host monthly meetups, such as roundtables and panels, to find out what women need to feel supported. What started as a simple idea, helping Muslim businesswomen network, has become a way for them to pursue entrepreneurship that's being done by being unapologetically Muslim without having to compromise their faith. It's one of the many ways that Muslim women in Metro Detroit are finding ways to express their joy in community. What I think is really interesting about this story is how it shows that to make sure everyone has a space to participate in all parts of society, you have to create explicit spaces. You have to tell women that they are included in this work. You have to tell Muslim women that they're included in this work and create spaces where women and Muslim women can support each other and talk about what they're up to. Yeah, one of the interesting things that um, someone mentioned at this brunch was that, you know, they go to networking events, but they don't have a time to stop and pray or they might not have food that they can eat at the events. So it's not always like big things, but to someone who really cares about these things, it can make it feel more difficult to participate in networking events that don't cater to the Muslim way of life. So even if it's just having food that's more accommodating or a, a break time for prayer whenever people need to just get up and go pray, those are little things that people have expressed need to be included to have space for women entrepreneurs. And the other thing that I heard at the luncheon was that sometimes women, they see each other at the mosques, but they don't really know what they do after the fact because it's a very quick 
meeting and you're just saying hello and just like, how are you catching up? But you don't have the conversations about what do you do when you go home or after you leave the mosque? What do you do in society? Because you might be just seeing that person once a week or once a month in passing. And so there's not an obvious space sometimes for people to have these deeper conversations and figure out how we can work together in a community by saying, okay, well, you do this, you know, you have this business and that business might work well with something that I do. And so the women at this event expressed how they were very excited to find out what each other's businesses are and how to work together and collaborate. It's also interesting um, for us in this area where we know we have a large Muslim community. We know we have a large communities from majority Muslim countries to think about creating something like a Muslim women's business organization and to think these things don't exist. You know, when you hear that they've been created, you would think like, why don't why, you know, we weren't, what were we up to that kept us from kind of getting this done? What made it, it's, what made it hard to do? Yeah. And Khalifa Kane, one of the organizers mentioned this, that a lot of times when you think about businesses, they're men facing or, you know, men are the owners of the businesses that we typically go to or think about when we think of even Muslim businesses. Usually it's a man that's at the front of the store. And so there's something that I do a lot of reporting about. Entrepreneurship doesn't always look like a brick and mortar. And so sometimes the women behind the scenes are not as obvious and you don't know that they exist. And many of the these businesswomen also do things from home. So you might not know about them necessarily because you don't see them. And so if there aren't these spaces created eventually, then where will these women come and gather? And so I think that it is interesting that we don't have these types of organizations, but I think that people are realizing more and more that it's necessary. And so you don't have to have a business per se that's public facing all the time to participate in these kind of things. And there is a space for small businesses to come together. 9-11 was, you know, a little over 20 years ago. And I'm thinking about, you know, has it taken this long to be able to create spaces that are unapologetically Muslim that are not specifically religious spaces. And that can be spaces that are, you know, forward facing to the broader community. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding of, you know, who are Muslims and where are they? (laughs) And definitely 9-11 created a situation where people had to think about if they wanted to be more public or if they wanted to be more private because there was a lot more scrutiny coming out of these um, conversations. And so I think 20 years later, people have realized that they have to really step into their full potential and not worry about those things as much, even though they're scary. And sometimes they're still dealing with a similar type of harassment or intimidation. But people have realized that if they don't step out into their true selves and just do what they want to do anyways, then the society can't move forward. You know, there's like this famous quote that like a woman can, you know, save the village or something like that. And I think that women do see that effect when they are stepping out into these spaces. They're not usually only doing it for themselves. They're providing services that are not readily available. They're niche services. They're unique to the communities they live in. And they go a long way in terms of taking care of their communities. It's not only about making money. A lot of times it's about just having services available that just don't exist otherwise. And so, 
You know, when you, ha- when you hear things like women-only sewing classes, you might think, well, why do we need women-only sewing classes? But perhaps there are communities that prefer to be in women-only spaces. And instead of thinking, oh, that's weird, maybe we need to think, you know, if we provide that kind of accommodation, if there are spaces like that, there are more opportunities for women to thrive. I feel like I see out in the world, too, uh, a growing understanding that uh, while, you know, a few decades ago there was this fight to integrate all of the spaces and to make sure women could access spaces that were mostly men and very often mostly white men, that there are that there is this need to create spaces where um, women don't have to compete with men to speak or to make a move or, you know, even to relax. We see um, some women-only gyms and, and spaces like that. And so both the kind of cultural, the um, cultural acknowledgement that there are there is a cultural need to provide women-only spaces in order to include people from all cultures and religions, but also that there might be a need for women to have spaces just so that the broad cultural demands of dealing with men... <laughs> might not have to be in every moment kind of thing. That's interesting that you say that because I think also another reason why we need third spaces is because not everyone goes to the same mosque, the same church, the same synagogue, the same, they don't live in the same city perhaps. But, you know, like you said, people do want to gather in some sort of third space and they don't have to find a seat at that table. They can just make their own, I think is a, a new, a newer phenomena that I've been seeing happening more and more because women are just tired of asking for a seat at the table. And I think that they're just like, instead of requesting to be there, we're just going to create our own spaces and make it happen anyways. Well, thank you so much for sharing that story with us. It's a really interesting uh, look at what women are up to in our community. And I can't wait to have you back to share more stories. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Nargis. Bye. And thank you for joining us for the Detroit Evening Reports weekends. If there's something happening in your neighborhood, please drop us a line at Detroit Evening Report at WDET.org. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.